Hi, everyone. You're listening to Scaling DevTools, the show that investigates how DevTools go from zero to one. I'm joined today by Ed Freifogel, who is the co-founder of OpenCage, a geocoding API. And Ed is also the host of the Geomob podcast. Ed, thanks so much for joining. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about OpenCage? Let's start with me. I am an internet veteran, uh, you know, started my career about 25 years ago during internet 1.0 times, uh, worked at Yahoo for a long time as a software developer, then eventually started my own company, which was a real estate search engine. And we kind of grew that business over the years. And one of the key things that we needed in building that was geocoding, which is the process of you get an address and you turn it into geographic coordinates. Or the opposite, you have geographic coordinates and you turn it into an address. Anyway, you know, I could go on for hours about the sex, drugs, and rock and roll of online real estate. But uh, long story short, we eventually sold that business in 2015. We, we had built up this knowledge of, of geocoding in-house and, and this technology. The buyer, for various reasons, was not interested in that. It was still kind of in its infancy. And so myself and a colleague from my old company, we then... St- took over the geocoding piece and branded it as OpenCage, and that became our geocoding API. And we've been running it ever since, so I guess it's been seven years now. Main point about um, OpenCage is we do one thing, uh, which is geocoding. We do it using open data. So this is very different than proprietary geocoders. So we use data sources like OpenStreetMap. That's that's probably the biggest ones, but there are many others as well, particularly country-specific data sets. Um, and we kind of aggregate all that data and then provide a clean, simple, easy API for people to to geocode away. We do both forward and reverse geocoding. So address to coordinates, coordinates to address. We do it for the whole world. Different offerings for different types of customers ranging from tiny startups or even just one-off projects all the way up to um, you know, people doing tens of millions of API requests a day, usually for things like vehicle tracking or things like that. That's really cool. And so just to make sure I understand, so it'd be like if I was starting like a, a mobile app to find dentists, would I use OpenCage? To... You could, you could. So if you wanted to let people do a search, like, you know, show me um, search for dentists in London or something, you could do that. The main use case is people who have large databases of addresses. So for example, a, a real estate site or company database or whatever. So imagine you have you have some sort of service where you have a continual flow of incoming addresses that you want to operate on geospatially. So most geospatial software, of course, works on longitude and latitude. Okay. So the step one of almost any geospatial process is take my addresses, turn them into longitude and latitude. So I can show them on a map or I can do all kinds of searches and queries on them and analysis. So we have a lot of customers kind of from data processing kind of companies. And then the other use case is the opposite, where you have coordinates from, say, a tracking device or, or a mobile uh, app or something, and you want to turn that into human-readable information. So imagine it, you know someone fires up your app, and you in the app, you can get the coordinates, but you want to show them, you want to know which country are they in, which state, which city. You know, Like on Twitter, the tweet sent from this part of Islington or whatever. There are a lot of different twists on it, different levels of granularity and things like that. And the world is actually a very, very complicated place in terms of how, how humans have chosen to arrange it. And there are all kinds of edge cases and things like that. So what we try to do is, is solve all those 
mash up the geographic data also with other data. So for example, things like time zones or all this kind of stuff and make it as simple as possible for software developers to just utilize this very clean, simple interface, very reasonable pricing, a very reasonable pricing model as well. Yeah, I really liked the way you talk about the pricing on your website and compared to like other services, um, it's all very transparent. So as I said, at my, at my old company, at the real estate company, we started kind of way back in the day when the whole idea of mapping mashups came out and like Google Maps launched and for the first time you could kind of put things on a map. I mean, this sounds like the Stone Ages these days. We use Google Maps heavily and we were like a big Google Maps case study when it first came out and it was super cool. And then all of a sudden Google's like, okay, now we're going to introduce quite severe pricing. A, we couldn't afford it because we were a startup, but also, you know, really felt like kind of a bait and switch type thing. And the pricing was kind of unclear. Um, and actually, even to this day, they have gotten better. You can go to their site and look at the pricing, but very, very quickly, if you have any significant volume, the pricing becomes contact sales, which sucks because then you know you're not getting the best price. You're getting whatever price you negotiate. Or, and, and it's just not transparent. You can't plan for it. And so we try to go the opposite direction. We also know, you know, obviously cloud services have become much more prevalent. And if you ask people, you know, people who use AWS or whatever, and we're like, what do you dislike about the pricing? One of the things people really hate is that it's just not, it's not transparent. And it's hard to plan. They don't know what their price is going to be. And so we try to offer the opposite. We have flat fee pricing. So you can get a different packages, small, medium, large. Each package has some limits. But if you, you know, on a given day, if you need more, you can go over your limit. No problem. Our limits are based on the daily average over the course of a month. So, you know, if every day you're going over your limit, then at some point we say, okay, you need to move from small up to medium. But you never get a surprise bill you know exactly how much it's going to be. I mean, basically we, we put ourselves in the shoes of the developer because that's exactly who we were. And we think, what, what is the model that we would like? And, and that's what we tried to do. Yeah. So. And it, it seems like your big competition is Google in the space. We have a couple. Google, a couple of years ago, Amazon also started offering a geospatial service. But really, I would say we have two competitors. One competitor is these, these giants, the, the proprietary giants. So Google... Amazon, companies like there's a company called Here. But at the other end of the spectrum, because we're using open data and we're relying heavily on various open source software architectures and things, many people try to do it themselves. Okay. And, and they certainly can. I mean, it's complex, but it's, it's not uh, rocket science. You can do it yourself, but then you have to maintain it. And actually, many of our best customers are people who originally did it themselves, realize it's kind of a living beast. Very often they come to us when they had one guy in the team who, who set it up and everything. And then for whatever reason, he's no longer there and has left the company. So now they realize, oh crap, we don't really know how to maintain this. And so they want the experts to take it over. I can tell you, it is definitely much more cost-effective for us to do it, do it for you than for you to try to do it yourself. But, you know, developers like to tinker and play. So a lot of people need to first learn the hard lesson that it's uh, it's better for us to do it for them. Yeah. But yeah, those are those are kind of the two main competitors. Yeah, that's interesting. And Adam Duvando, who actually recommended that you come on this podcast. Thanks, Adam. Um, I know he talks a lot about this like kind of developer Jedi mind trick about like showing how hard it is to actually do the thing yourself. And then um, how do you kind of overcome that? Yeah, well, in our case... 
I mean, obviously we provide a software service, but it's a little bit different than most software in that there are two pieces. There's the software plus the data and the data is changing continually. And so for example, OpenStreetMap, which is the main data source that we're building upon is getting like five to 6 million edits a day. Okay. So this is not um, a static data set at all. Obviously you can just take a snapshot, but then you're getting out of date very quickly. So the DevOps challenge of keeping that up to date is very real. We try to make that clear to people. Not everyone, you know, some people have the skills to take that challenge on and want to do it themselves. Some people don't. The other point to make is that there are a lot of edge cases that they perhaps don't anticipate. I mean, geography is so complex. Every country does it slightly differently and how they're arranged, you know, and, and then depending on your needs, people want different levels of granularity and things like that. <coughs> people want to search, cultures search very differently. So in the UK, if you ask someone where they live, they start spitting out some incomprehensible string of letters and numbers because that's how UK postcodes work. And society has kind of agreed we're we're going to use postcodes, which makes no sense to many people in, in much of the rest of the world. Names change all the time of roads and things, but also even of regions. You know, it's weird and wacky and wonderful. That's why we enjoy it. But it's really, it can be non-trivial depending on your use case. So, I know that you're completely bootstrapped um, with OpenCage. Could you talk a bit about what it's been like to bootstrap? So as I said, we we spun out of my former company. And at that point... The service, I think maybe we had one or two customers. We had kind of just launched it the, the year before as an experiment. And and we had just put up a web page and said, you know, here's here's our service. Does anyone want to use this? And announced it in various places. And a few customers came in. And then, you know, I just sold my company and was kind of taking a break. But I was like, yeah, you know, I need a new project and I want to keep learning things and doing things. So Myself and my colleague, we said, well, let's let's run this for six months as a side project and see kind of how it goes, right? And we'll use it as a chance to learn and explore. And so bit by bit, we started working on it and adding things. And then eventually we took it out of beta and added pricing. And, you know, slowly but steadily, customers showed up. And, you know, of course, we would learn from those customers. But we really had one huge advantage, and that is that we could afford to go slowly. We weren't in any rush. And... I, frankly, that was necessary because I don't know really, it would have been difficult to accelerate things, I think. One of the big, big challenges that we have is our service is not discretionary in any way. So you either need geocoding or you don't need geocoding. And if you don't need geocoding, you know, you might come to our website and you like the look of it and you're like, wow, these guys are really smart. Uh, this is really cool. This is great. But you're still not going to buy, right? Because you don't need it. So... We need, and the people, if you do need geocoding, you already have an existing solution in one form or another, either you built your own thing or you're, you're using Google or whatever it is. So we have to find you or, or get you to find us on the day that you're unhappy with that existing solution, which is very difficult. And even, you know, even if people have a suboptimal solution, they stick with it for a while. Right. Any developer, you ask them, uh, you know, of all the systems in your company, are there ones that you would like to replace? They, they can you know, list five or six, but that doesn't mean they're going to replace them tomorrow. It, it's more like uh, when we get to it or whatever. So it requires a lot of patience and just kind of slowly but steadily building awareness in the community so that 
when that day does roll around that they either they start a new project that needs a geo coding or they um you know they get so fed up with the old solution or they they get their bill from google and they're like oh christ you know we can't keep paying this and that day we're top of mind and then they they make the the transition to us of course we have to follow all the basics of you know make it very easy for you to try our service very easy to sign up you know have great documentation all these kinds of things i mean those are table stakes but even if you do all that you know it's it's difficult we cannot induce demand we have to be present when the demand comes to us so so that's kind of it requires a lot of patience frankly that's really interesting and you kind of have spoken a lot on some other podcasts about how you see that playing the long game is the only shortcut and i just wondered what kind of long games that you've played with that patience well, for example, our pricing, you know, so services like Google or an Amazon, you know, imagine, imagine, you know, all of a sudden you have some big spike in need. So your database tripled in size for whatever, for because of some big promotion. I don't know. So now all of a sudden you need to do a lot of geocoding, whereas previously you didn't, and your costs are going to fly, you know, go through the roof unexpectedly, not unexpectedly, but like, you know, you can have this huge spike in price. You, you, maybe you didn't plan for that. Maybe you didn't budget for it. And our approach is the opposite. What we want to be a long-term, steady, reliable partner for our customers. You know, they might have ups, they might have downs or whatever, but they pay a fair price and it just goes on continually. I actually think a lot about, you know, of course we look, look for inspiration and companies we can learn from and copy the way that our customers think about us is a lot as a kind of a utility, right? We're a very back-end service. We're, we're a tiny piece of what they're doing. It's not visible usually. It's you know part of a data processing pipeline. And they think about us the way perhaps you think about your um, electricity, right? What you want is when you flip the switch on the wall, the light should go on. And when you get the bill at the end of the month, the price should be reasonable. And that's it. You don't, you don't want to like every day be logging into your electricity dashboard. You don't want to, I mean, maybe there are a few freaks like that that are into that, but the vast majority of people, they just want it to work and, and be a reasonable price. And that's exactly the way most of our customers think about geocoding as well. You know, it requires just being a stable, steady provider to those customers. And we don't hassle them. We don't spam them. We, um, you know, of course, when they have questions, we answer promptly and, and try to help them. You know, we're not in their face all the time. I mean, also from a marketing challenge, many, many people come to our site, they sign up, they get an API key, and then they never come back to our site. They don't need to, right? Because they're just using the API. And so we don't have a lot of touch points with the customer. You know, they're not, we're not forcing them to log in to get our messages or anything. They just, they use the service. You know, we charge their credit card. Everyone's happy. So... Yeah, that's kind of what we do. That's really interesting to think of it like a utility. And then I'm kind of imagining like a lot of the marketing as if it's like a utility company. Gap. Exactly. You don't yeah. you don't want to read, uh, uh, you know, Electricity Digest Weekly or whatever, just yeah. because you want to have your lamps work, right? The, the marketing that we take is um, we try to be very active and supportive to the communities that we rely upon. So, for example, OpenStreetMap. We are corporate members of the OpenStreetMap Foundation. Um, we sponsor a lot of projects in the OpenStreetMap world. 
we try to use our voice to amplify things. So on our blog, we interview people from the OpenStreetMap community and things like that. It, then we have the the broader geospatial community, um, and we actually we run an event, GeoMob, which which started as an event and is still an event, but now it's also a podcast where we, you know, feature interesting geospatial projects, talk with people doing interesting things around geospatial. I mean, there is actually an amazing amount of innovation happening in this space. You know, we try to do innovative things around geocoding as well, but geocoding is a tiny, tiny building block of what's happening in geospatial. And it's it would be disingenuous if like every every week we spammed our customers with our like, check out this cool new feature we made. They're like, that's not the nature of the service that we provide, right? You know, we're doing data cleaning, we're doing... Uh, you know all these types of things, but it's not—it's not particularly exciting or glamorous. That's just not the nature of the service. But there are people doing exciting, interesting, wow type things in the space, and so we feature them in the GeoMob community and at our events and on our podcast. And that's all sponsored by us, and, and that's a way that people hopefully build a very positive brand association and become aware of our brands. So then in you know three months, six months, or when that day comes that they have a, a geocoding project, we're top of the short list of the people that they're going to try out. But the, the problem with this approach, or let's say the negative of this approach, is it is slow. It, it, it's slow. It, it can be difficult to measure. You know, So we put a lot of effort into sponsoring these things and, and giving back to the community. And, and it's very difficult to measure that you know someone who read an interview on our blog six months ago now becomes a customer or someone who came to one of our events, you know, and had a good, had a good time and got to know our brand and enjoyed it. Then, you know, three months later signs up for a trial. And then three months after that, his company actually becomes a customer. You know, that's a, that's a challenging conversion path to measure. Do you kind of try to even measure that or do you? Well, we try in the sense that we, of course, we ask people when they sign up optionally, you know, how did you hear about us? How did you, or or especially bigger customers who we might have more of a dialogue with, we try to ask them. But that's pretty, I wouldn't say that's always reliable. Uh, even sometimes the person themselves doesn't even know. I'd be like, how did you hear about us? And they're like, oh, a colleague told me about you, right? And, you know, who knows yeah. how that colleague found out or... So you just kind of have to take it on faith and just say, we're doing the right things. We're getting positive feedback from these communities. We're seeing that people are doing trials and signing up. And, you know, and generally things are moving in the right direction. One challenge as a bootstrapped business, you know, very limited resources. You can burn a lot of energy and spin your, you know, spinning wheels a lot that don't actually, you know, really help you. You know, in the sense of like, of course, I could I could invest a lot of energy into like, oh, how can we track who, you know, who told who to come try? But, you know, I don't I don't see a simple way to do it. And it's better to focus on the things that we can control. You kind of touched on it, like that you're kind of focusing on this kind of like enthusiasts of the space and like maybe like thought leaders. Do they have a lot of influence over? Well, I think... This is this is just my own anecdotal experience, but there are many many software developers out there. And let's say the boss comes to them one day and say, "Oh, we have this project. We're going to need geocoding." Usually, that software developer, the one, probably the first thing they're going to do is be like, "Oh, my friend Bob or the guy I worked with two jobs ago or whatever. He's kind of knows about this space. Let me ask him." And that's because it's it's a it's a complex topic, right? If you're not in it day to day. 
you know, or even things like OpenStreetMap or whatever, everyone's kind of heard of it. But, you know, unless you're spending every day in there with, you know, your sleeves rolled up and really getting into the nitty gritty, it can be a bit much and very overwhelming. So the first step when you're, you get that type of project is you might say, oh, let me, let me ask, you know, whoever it is that knows. And hopefully that guy is the guy who's listening to our podcast, coming to our events, has heard of us, following us on Twitter or whatever, you know, whatever it is. Somehow we've succeeded in getting a touch point with that person. Again, hard to measure. I think like software engineers are very like kind of trusting of each other in that, in that kind of. If I had a way to go faster, if I, if I had a, a marketing channel that I could, you know, say, oh, I put in X and I get X plus one out, I would do it. But all of our attempts in that regard have been, it's easy to burn a lot of money on marketing, particularly things like Google AdWords or whatever, without really having tangible results, you know, and that I can definitely get people to click on my Google ads. The question is, do they then become customers? You know, is it, or is it just, you know, I'm, I'm getting the wrong people or I'm getting them at the point where they don't actually have demand. So it, it's a challenge. Or there are a lot of people, of course, who want things for free. So we all, we do offer a free trial, of course, because people have to try it, but you get a lot of people who for whom the free trial is more than adequate. You know, I can't spend a lot of money to get people who just come for a free trial and then never, never actually become a customer. That's not a great yeah. strategy. It's hard. We don't have we don't have all the answers, but we try different things, and so far it's been working. Okay. Amazing. That's all we've got time for. It's been super interesting to hear about Open Cage and about yourself. Where can people learn more about about you and about Open Cage? Probably the easiest way is you can uh, follow me on Twitter, which my handle is Fryfogel, which uh, a bit of a cumbersome spelling, but uh, maybe you can put it in the show notes. But um, about Open Cage, if you just search for Open Cage Geocoding, you know, we'll be there. Um, if you are interested in geospatial stuff, then I highly recommend you check out our event and podcast. So it's the Geomob podcast. We host an events. We originally started in London when I was living in London. And now we do them in a couple different cities around Europe, London, Barcelona, Aviv. Hopefully we're going to be adding a few more cities in the coming uh, coming year. And the way the events work is we just have four or five different people kind of give brief presentations about their projects. And then we go drink beer at a pub. And um, that's it. It's just people talking about interesting projects they've been working on. I mean, it could be startups, but it could also be hobbyists. A lot of people from the OpenStreetMap community. It could also be academics. And occasionally we have people from kind of like the big companies as well. Come along to an event. And if you can't make it to an event, check out our podcast where we then interview the people who have spoken. So yeah, we'd lo love it if anyone, anyone gets in touch with any questions. Thanks so much for joining, Ed. And thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you again next week. Thank you.